Biden's in Europe and no one even really noticed. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. I'm Chris Hahn. Welcome to the Aggressive Progressive. This is week, well, episode 113 of the Aggressive Progressive podcast. So, you know, look, Biden is on a trip to Europe. He will meet with Putin on Wednesday and he will not tell the note takers to leave the room. He's over at NATO and we never had to worry for a second that he would sell out NATO while he was at NATO. No, Biden supports this alliance, which has kept Russia in check for three generations now. Uh, America, it is so nice to have a president who doesn't embarrass us, who world leaders aren't talking about behind his back as they did the former guy who's out there in Europe not making a fool of himself like the former guy. I, I got to tell you, it I don't even think most of us are even paying attention to what's going on on his trip abroad. It's so it's almost been a non-event. He's going to meet with Erdogan. He's going to meet with Putin. He's not going to sell out our ideals to those people. It is phenomenal. And I've enjoyed every single minute of it. Uh, it's the Biden come. And it's great. But you know what? I, I don't want to talk just about his trip to Europe. Uh, I think it's been great. I think he's done a great job. I, I feel like the right wing has nothing to complain about. I want to talk about Mitch McConnell saying uh, on a podcast earlier in the week that if Stephen Breyer should die one day into a Republican majority in the state Senate and Joe Biden was still president, talking about like 2023, I guess. He would not approve a judge. He'd hold that seat open for two years. That's that's what he said. This is the same guy who last week said that Chuck Schumer killed bipartisan. No, bipartisanship has been dead since 2009. Mitch McConnell killed it. Mitch McConnell kidnapped it, tied it up, put a gun to its head, didn't even ask a question, and shot it and splattered bipartisanship's brains all over our Constitution, which this guy can care less about. He would not support Biden having any judges. Let that be a warning to every single Democrat in the United States Senate and to the Biden administration. Get your appointments through now because this guy will not approve any judges. Forget about the Supreme Court. That's going to be a battle no matter what, right? But he won't approve district court judges. His job, and he sees the United States Senate and the United States Senate's only job under Mitch McConnell, is to confirm 30-year-old conservative judges and to block any Democratic judge. All Mitch McConnell wants is for the United States to be a minority-ruled theocracy. That's what he wants. That's the McConnell plan, that the Supreme Court, that the lower courts are the only thing the Senate's there to do. He doesn't believe this is the thing. America, you know, and we go round and round in circles on this. Mitch McConnell doesn't believe government should do anything. He doesn't believe that there should be taxes. He doesn't believe that the government should do anything other than have an army. And even that, quite frankly, Mitch McConnell would enjoy subletting that out to a, a private contractor to do, like that Eric Prince guy. Mitch McConnell believes that government should be completely out of 
almost everything that we believe government should do, whether it be education, building roads, building bridges. He doesn't believe government should do that. He believes government should be in partnership with the private sector every step of the way and that there is no other role for government. So he doesn't believe the Senate not passing a infrastructure bill, not passing any other relief. That's it doesn't matter to him. He doesn't think government should be doing it. He wants the private sector to be doing it. You look at all the COVID bills that passed last year when Trump was still president and the Republicans controlled the Senate. They actually uh, did a lot of, uh, you know, block grants to states and, you know, bailouts directly to banks. There were no it wasn't like the, the bill that passed this year where there was direct relief to people, direct relief to businesses, small businesses by the government. Very different packages if you actually look at them. Mitch McConnell just gave away the, the, rate, the taxpayers' money directly to banks, directly to large corporations to buy whatever it is that we needed here. And it actually led to a back, it, it, whatever. That's what he believes. He wants the United States Senate to be nothing more than a deregulating body that blocks everything that comes out of the House and a place where liberal judges go to die and conservative judges just out of law school get confirmed. That's what he wants. And, you know, it disturbs me. I'm a lawyer, right? I spent three years of my life studying the Supreme Court cases that were written and lower court cases in federal court that were written by people who had a real respect and independence for the law, right? They weren't political hacks. What we now have on the Supreme Court of the United States of America, and I touched on this last week a little bit, this might sound a little repetitive to you, is we have a couple of members of the conservative wing, I would say Chief Justice Roberts, for sure, who has a judicial philosophy, I might not agree with it, but it's a judicial philosophy based on his interpretation of the law. Neil Gorsuch, I would say, is a strict constructionist, and if you can make a strict constructionist argument, whether it's liberal or conservative, you might get Neil Gorsuch. He is definitely a conservative, though. I would not call him a liberal or moderate or anything like that. And then you have four partisan hacks in the conservative wing. There's a 6-3 majority uh, on the court right now of conservatives. Four of those votes are not gettable anymore. Doesn't matter what the case is. They are conservative Republican. I wouldn't even call them conservatives. They are partisan hacks. They are Republican partisan hacks. Uh, Justice Thomas has been a partisan hack since the 80s. He's been on that court, or 1992, whenever he was put on. He's been a partisan hack for all that time. He has never drifted away from his partisan hackishness. Alito, same thing. And of course, the other two Trump appointees, Amy Barrett and uh, Mr. McDrinks a lot. Those two people are absolute partisans. At least that's what they've showed us so far. Uh, and, and, and that troubles me as a lawyer who has a respect for the court to see it made into a shell of what it once was, into basically a, a mini Congress, a Congress that writes long opinions about why it's doing what it's doing. That's what the Supreme Court has become. And that's what some of our federal courts have become. Many Congresses, where if you were appointed by a Republican, you were going to rule a certain way. It wasn't always that way. I'm sorry. I clerked for a Republican federal district court judge when I was in law school. And you never knew how he was going to rule. 
He ruled based on the law, based on the facts of the case. It wasn't always an up and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a right or left thing. He, he read the law, he followed the law, and then he made his decisions based on his interpretation of the law. And that's what the courts are supposed to do. And Mitch McConnell is, I believe, the most responsible person for destroying our federal judiciary to the point right now where it is just partisan. It, the, you know, the luck of the draw in most cases, especially when it's on an issue, look, you know, fact cases, you know, cases, uh, uh, you know, that are criminal in nature, you know, it doesn't matter who appointed that judge for the most part. They are going to rule based on the facts and the law. But when you come to an interpretation of a of of a law by Congress or a state law or, or a program that is, is run by the federal government, we're talking about, you know, just pure partisanship. We're talking about things that matter like choice. And I know I've been I've been harping on this for the last couple of weeks. I do think choice is in danger right now. And I think that when it gets to the court, it will either be strictly, it'll be, uh, you know, seriously, uh, the right to, cho- to choose will be seriously abridged in this country, or it'll be eliminated altogether. And it is possible that it'll be eliminated altogether. We'll see what happens. You know, they all, when they, you know, when they stand before Congress to get confirmed, they all say we respect stare decisis, which is precedent. No, they don't. They don't respect it. Absolutely not. And we'll see that this year, I'm sure, this year or next year. Uh, and and, and it, it's scary. it should be scary to you. It's scary to me. So, you know, Mitch McConnell talking about partisanship, <laughs> saying the era of bipartisanship is over, it, it's just a joke. So, so to that end, there are things that this Congress needs to do, and it needs to do it now. The average age of the Democratic Senate majority is is well into the 70s right now, right? There are a couple younger people in there. But most of the, you know, we have, like Bernie Sanders is in his 80s. He's from a state with a Republican governor. Most people don't realize that Vermont has a Republican governor. He's not a crazy right-wing nut like, you know, the Texas governor or the Florida governor, but he is a Republican governor. And should Bernie Sanders, you know, meet his demise, he would be appointing the next senator. Um, we have that with all, and Pat Leahy is also from Vermont, who is also very old. And, you know, America, we can't afford to, to, to wait for the right time to get things done. The time to get things done are right now. Remember when Obama became president, he had a 60 vote majority in the United States Senate for a couple of weeks. And then Ted Kennedy died and the Democrats lost that race in Massachusetts to replace him. So waiting could be really bad for democracy, could be really bad for the Biden agenda. We've got, you know, we're, we're, you know, McConnell is no idiot, right? I don't like what he's doing. I don't like his, uh, his, his view of the world, but he is a smart legislative operative and he is running out the clock and Joe Manchin's helping him. And uh, whether he knows it or not, McConnell says, all I got to do is, is wait a little bit and maybe the Democrats lose a seat and they don't have a majority anymore. Now, I think that we're going to pick up seats in 2022. But you never know. Elections are funny things. So they got to get to work and they got to do it now. All right. Uh, I got a great guest for you. Sarah Burris. She's from Raw Story. She's been on the show before. 
She, uh, you know, this interview is kind of wild. We're all over the map. We're talking about a variety of different things, um, you know, from politics to, uh, I know this, Sarah pointed out that Pornhub has an analytics section <laughs> that talks about what people are searching for at different times. That somehow came up. So uh, uh, you should stick around for this interview. It's very entertaining. Sarah's always entertaining. And then I'll be back up to wrap up the show. Again, thank you for, for listening to this show. Please subscribe, rate, and, and tell a friend about this uh, show. And, and follow me on Twitter. I'm at Christopher Hahn. All right, stick around. I'll be right back. Buckle up, folks. The Car Pro Show podcast is here to rescue you from the doldrums of everyday life. And you can find it on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast cravings take you. What do we have here, Doctor? Looks like yet another case of the Car Pro Show podcast giddies. Do you concur? I concur. And it's spreading like wildfire. I know, but the podcast is so powerful. Jerry and Kevin dish out all the juicy car news from the Car Pro Friends universe. They review and chat about the latest car lineups from all the big players in the industry. And they take live calls to help steer car buyers in the right direction. It's highly addictive and impossible to shake. Do we alert the press? Are you crazy? If more people discover the Car Pro Show podcast and its cornucopia of car curriculum, this thing will spiral out of control. <laughs> Listen to the Car Pro Show on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast desires take you. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com <laughs> The Car Pro Show podcast is available on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. I can't take my husband anywhere. He's constantly behaving like a five-year-old, snorting, joking, yapping with strangers. It's so embarrassing. But the one period when he's fully engrossed in anything is if he's listening to the Car Pro Show podcast. Here they are now on the Car Pro Show. He gets to hear Jerry and Kevin share all the latest and greatest news and information about the CarPro Friends universe, reviews and commentary on all the newer vehicle lineups from every major brand, stories and testimonials about ultimate car buying experiences through CarPro.com, and certified CarPro Friends at dealers nationwide. My only regret is when this two-hour break from you-know-who ends. Save yourself. Grab some me time by tuning into the CarPro Show podcast on your device anytime, anywhere. Listen to the CarPro Show on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. Joining me now, good friend of mine, bailing me out last minute uh, to come on on short notice, but she's always got stuff to say. Sarah Burris is a writer and editor at Raw Story, and she often writes on the media. Sarah, how you doing? I'm good. It's starting to feel like maybe you just call me when your date cancels. Yes. You know? like, <laughs> like, I'm that girl. I didn't say you up. I, I was like, <laughs> but you, de you definitely said to me, well, I was about to take a nap, but I guess I could do your radio show. So it was almost like a, yeah. it was almost like a you up call. Uh, <laughs> hey, but you know what? Things are looking up for Jeffrey Tubin. I, I mean, Bless. Can, can you can you believe? Is there a drum roll? Is there a rim shot, please? Uh, can you believe that Jeffrey Tubin's getting a second chance? I can't believe it. I say good on him um, because that whole issue is just dumb. I mean, it's not like he, you know, was on uh, like intentionally was whipping it out and showing people right. Like this, just sort of, it's an old man who clearly doesn't know how to use his technology. I I, I feel like. 
I, I tend to agree with you, but I, I just think in this day and age, I didn't think he'd be back on TV ever. I don't know. I mean, I feel like, especially with, um, with the folks at the, at the network at CNN, they're probably given the kind of stuff that a lot of people have done there. That is really not the most egregious. No, I feel like there are way worse things like being a racist or being, you know, like, Half the stuff that Tucker Carlson has done should have got him fired. Right, right, right. But he's not on CNN. (laughs) Right. Not anymore. No. Yeah, not anymore. That's true. Uh, You know, that's where he started. And I think that's really the reason why he is the way he is today. Because when he left CNN, he said, I don't ever want to lose a job again. And here he is. (laughs) So he wants to get ratings and he's doing what he can do to get ratings because he doesn't ever want to be in that position again. Uh, yeah, you know, you are definitely more advanced on this issue than I think a lot of people would expect you to be. I mean, I, I, I agree with you, frankly, I, I was like saying to myself, I mean, unless he intended for people to see it, why are they firing him? I mean, maybe give him some training on how to use zoom, but I don't, I, I, who intentionally wants anybody to see that, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, Right, like get some electrical tape and just put it over that camera and you're good. Yeah. Good for the rest of your life. That's totally fine. Um, It's different. I I sort of compare it as somebody, like if you're, um, say you're at your high school football game and somebody pants you, right? They run up, they pull your drawers down. Right. That's one thing versus somebody being at their high school football game and taking their pants off and, you know, running out on the football field and streaking. Right. Totally different things. And that's sort of what I see is the difference between Tubin and, say, some super weird creep. Yeah, um, but, but, but Tubin did take his pants off intentionally, Sarah. He, right, but it wasn't, but he wasn't doing it to, like, to, you know, it wasn't it wasn't malicious masturbation is what you're saying. It was just right. it was just passive masturbation that wasn't meant for public consumption and he unfortunately left his computer running while he was doing it. I my my question is though, you know, as a media critic, now Jeffrey Tubman who is the senior legal analysis on CNN will be coming out and pontificating on the Supreme Court particularly because he's actually pontificated very well on. He wrote actually a very good book called The Nine, which I have read. Uh, and But will we be able to take him seriously? Will America take him seriously as a legal analyst? I think the major question is, why would you ever take anybody seriously as a legal analyst? Um, because everybody's crazy, right? Yeah. Really no. <laughs> There's, the, the, like Jeffrey Tubin has experience and knowledge of um, the legal community and to the Supreme Court that does not have anything to do with his penis. Right. Um, And I think, you know, it's either one way or the other. Like, do you think some guy who went to law school is any smarter than, you know? Well, look, let's, let's just put this out there. Every person on the planet masturbates. If they tell you they don't, they are lying to you. Right. So everyone's done it. I'm going to raise my hand right now and say I've done it. I didn't do it today and I wouldn't be doing it in front of a camera, but I have done it. And I I, I, I think Jeffrey Tubman has done it. Uh, I can't say that I've taken a break from work to go do it. 
But in the middle of a meeting, we're going to take a 15-minute break. I don't know that I've ever done that. But I'm sure a lot of people have. So I guess it makes sense that they're going to let them back, right? Yeah. I mean, some people go outside and smoke. Some people go in the bathroom and wank. Like, not (laughs) a thing. I don't really... What what was disturbing to me more than anything is listening to poor Allison Camerata talk about yeah. on CNN this afternoon. And I was like, why, why are we doing this? Why yeah. are we doing this again? I don't care. Please don't talk about it. I don't <laughs> want to hear these words come out of her mouth. Well, I guess they had to say something, right? They couldn't just have him back. Uh, you know, now that the Supreme court is get, issuing all their decisions, you know, let's say Supreme court comes out with a decision uh, ending Roe v. Wade tomorrow and they bring in Jeffrey Tubin. <laughs> you know, you want to at least have gotten it out there that, hey, we know that he's the guy who did it. We're letting him back anyway. Just forgive him. We've all masturbated, you know, so stop. Yeah. And I think I really wish this could be an adult conversation about sex and sexuality because it seems like all of these prudish people who are so far um Back in, in Victorian eras, I just, like, come on, guys. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Exactly like what you said. Everybody does it. Um, some of us have not in a while and really probably should to clear our sinuses. But, you know. Well, I'm sorry I interrupted your pre-nap routine, Sarah, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean. Right. I told you I was watching a documentary on big holes. <laughs> you say, not I, what you thought. Yeah. Like, literally Stephen Hawking. This is not. This is not what you thought. You got sucked into that documentary about the black hole. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it is kind of man. This is a this is an over the air FCC regulated air for uh, show for the record. Um, hey, physics jokes are cool. Yes, I'm gonna say. Yes, yes, yes. So, well, I, I, look, I, you're right. I think the problem in this country, though, is that. Everybody pretends to be a prude when it comes to their public persona, but none of us are prudes, right? This country is simultaneously the most prudish nation on earth and the biggest uh, consumer of pornography on earth. It can't be both, right? Yeah. And what's funny is uh, Pornhub, which uh, is amazing in terms of the way that they do data analytics, they have an incredible blog that talks about uh, user consumption and it breaks it down by state and gender and like all of these great demographics. Leave it to Sarah to go to Pornhub for the analytics, but go ahead. Right. Like, so for people like me who get off on numbers, right, that's a perfect place for me to go. But um, it, and it shows all of these really conservative uptight states that have really, really huge um, uh, consumptions of pornography. And not just pornography, some real dark stuff in those states from what I've seen, right? Kind of all of the, all over the place. Like it's not, I don't want to say that Southern states are, are more um, hardcore than Northern. I don't think that that's necessarily true. I right. think it's just, honestly, it's just everybody, the, everybody watches whatever the hell. The red states, and blue states. The one thing we all have in common is lots of downloads on Pornhub. All right. So Sarah, I could talk Pornhub with you all day. Um, it, I am amazed that you have dug so deep into that site that you are literally looking at their charts and graphs on their analytics page. Um, uh, you might be the only person who's ever gone there, but, uh, that's fantastic. I, I applaud you, uh, for that. Uh, and I am definitely going to check out th- those analytics because I bet you there's trends in there that would be very interesting to, uh, to talk about, but it is pride month. And when I, when I first met you years ago and, and I, I take met 
uh, not in the literal sense, because I don't think we've ever been in the same room together. Um, but uh, we have been talking. What? Yeah, we've we've talked together multiple times over the years, and I always enjoy talking to you. Um, you know, uh, you were very pro anti. You were pro LGBT rights, and and that was one of the things I loved about you. And and it's Pride Month, and um, you know, I'm interested in your take. You know, with all this corporatization of Pride. You know, every company coming out. I mean, it's it. I think it's great. Uh, I, I know that there are some people in the LGBTQ community that feel that that's not great, but I I think it's awesome. So I understand why people would have issues with it. I I would think so. One of the major issues, because I I mean, I sort of came of age at a time that was on the cusp of um, the LGBT. Um, same-sex marriage movement. Yep. So my, I had my first girlfriend when I was in high school in the the early or the late '90s, early 2000s, and we didn't get marriage rights until you know what was it 2000? Gosh, I can't even remember now. It was uh, so, I think it was 2008. No, 2010 because I think I was on Fox that day for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And so there, there has been such a huge cultural shift that I have seen in my lifetime from being afraid to hold my girlfriend's hand walking down the schools of my local high school to now my best friend's daughter telling me at 11 years old that um, she's probably bi, but she's not really sure about it. And it's so cavalier, right? You know, the way that people talk about it. And so I think this idea of of the corporatization of LGBT and, uh, and pride month is it's a normalization that I think is important. Yeah, me too. Because the more it's normalized, the more it becomes just part of the culture and part of just, you know, everyday stuff that we do, black history month, pride month, right? The more that we do it, the more normal it becomes. And then the more acceptable it is to see, um, you know, representations of LGBTQ, uh, live and right now, like we're really fighting hard for trans rights, and it's an important battle that I feel like we, as an LGBT community, need to need to make sure happens because it it feels like for a long time we were kind of like, you know, hang on, we're just trying to do the same sex marriage thing, hang on on your trans rights thing, and we owe it to you know the trans community as as um, you know people as part of our abbreviation that we need to fight for their rights too. Right, right. And I think, and I think that ultimately, um, that'll be normal too. I, I don't, I, I think that things just evolve and I think things have been evolving quickly. I was having this conversation with somebody the other day about pronouns and people are like, well, you know, what's up with the pronouns? And I remember when people started first using pronouns and somebody would say, well, I, I want to be addressed as they, and I had a, I had an issue with that just grammatically because they is plural, <laughs> But I, I was like, okay, you want to be they, you're they. And now I don't even care about it. And it's only like six months later. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Zooming, right? A year and a half ago, nobody knew what Zooming was. If somebody says I got to go on a Zoom, I'd be like, what do you mean you got to go on a Zoom? Now we just say we're going to go on a Zoom and everybody knows what, what we're talking about. And it's no big deal. A year or two from now, people are going to say, oh, uh, this person's pronoun is they or them. And nobody's going to care. It's just going to be yeah. the way it is, you know? It's like, who cares? Which is the way it should be. I mean, the it shouldn't be a big deal. It shouldn't be like this big, huge announcement. You know, it should just be like, oh, cool, whatever. Um, 
I mean, I come from a position of somebody actually, uh, I think it was probably six or nine months ago was like, you don't have your, your gender pronoun and your email signature. Um, cause I've got like, you know, my name, my Twitter right. account, Facebook link, whatever. Um, and a Harry Potter quote, because of course, but I don't have my gender pronoun. And well, you only get you know, so many characters. I mean, you know. I know, right? <laughs> I was just like, I kind of, I don't care. Yeah. And I have the privilege of that, though. Like, I've never had to fight for my gender. I've right. never had to fight to be um, who I am. Right. And right. So, I mean, it's, you know, for me, it's like, I really don't care what you call me. I'm old at, at this point, and I feel like I've done this politics thing and this activist thing forever and i'm tired so right right i'm not in on that fight call me when it's over which will be in a couple of weeks because nobody cares about language ultimately i i mean i was listening to bill maher uh and i like bill maher a lot and i was listening to him talk about latinx the term latinx and i was thinking to myself yeah i mean i get it you know maybe people there are some people that want it some people that don't want it but a year from now we're just going to say it and nobody's even going to think about it so stop bitching about it you know it was like who cares yeah like stop complaining about the pronoun thing right like and and for those of you who know who you are and know your gender and know that it's the same gender that you were assigned at birth think of yourself as lucky that yeah. you don't have to fight for that right 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 it is a it is a very uh, it is, it, it, it's, it's just to me very frustrating. It, it makes me see that these people are, it's, it's almost like an old thing. Like this person's too old to evolve, yeah. right? It's old dog, new tricks kind of thing. But eventually the old dog will learn the new trick because they're going to just want to fit in with everybody else too. Cause things are yeah. going to change. Things just change language that we have now. We didn't have even a, a couple months ago. It's like, you know, it's amazing to me. Yeah, I mean, if you look at one of my favorite things is at the end of the year, whenever uh, Merriam-Webster adds new words to the dictionary. Yep. You know, you see if you if you look at all of the new words that have been added for like the last ten years, you see how our culture has changed, right? And how we as a society has changed, and that's a really good reflection reflection to see how our languages has moved. Uh, I would hope for the better. Yes, and I think look, I, I get why grammar the grammar police have a problem with they, them. I totally get it, but too bad, so sad. Life is full of pain. Unless you could come up with a better word for, I guess, binary, uh, you know, a better pronoun, then, you know, shut up. Just call them they, them, because that's what they want to call, and it's not hurting you. It's not costing you anything, so stop it. Billionaires have this obsession with going to space. Looks like Jeff Bezos is going to launch himself into orbit. Something that the guy from Virgin Galactic never did, but he kind of wants to, too. Um, I know you have some strong opinions on his rocket. Um, can you share them with my audience? It looks like a penis. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Like, I love that we have gone now from Jeffrey Tubin to Pornhub to um, LGBTQ equality and now the size of somebody's rocket and how it looks like a penis. Um, <laughs> and will. I should say too, like it's not an an uncircumcised penis. This is very much a circumcised penis look. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to, you know, drag anybody down who hasn't been cut. But um, well, thanks, yeah, Sarah. I, I appreciate that. But you know, it's all about it's all about giving everybody. It's all about you know. It's about the uncut <laughs> equality. You know, I just want to say when is our when are we getting our month? That's what I want to know. Right. So for real. When am I getting my month? <laughs> so. <laughs> so. Um, but if you look at Elon Musk, uh, one of the early versions of his SpaceX ships, same deal. 
right. looks like a like a circumcised penis. Um, and so does Bezos. And so I, you just have to ask, like, what is this really about? Is this about your masculinity? Do you have some issues here? Is it um, overcompensation? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, you have more money than God. So, you know. Look at this, that. America <laughs> you know, world. Look what I got. I've got this big thing I'm going to launch into space. You don't see you don't see Jeff Bezos' wife, who I think is now the richest woman in the world because he she got half of his money. You don't see her like going out and buying a giant penis car. No, no, no. We don't get her she's not buying the ambiguously gay duo's car uh and driving around in it because she misses Jeff. <laughs> so it's just Oprah Oprah doesn't have a giant penis. Right. Um I mean as that far we, as we know, that we know of. I mean, we, you know, right. I don't want to cast it. I don't, um, want, to, I don't want to guess. But uh, it, it is it is kind of amazing that in this country, there are often these shows of masculinity and a billionaire might buy a rocket. A poorer person might buy a large assault rifle to overcompensate yep. for something that's missing in their life. I don't think it's a show of look at how big I normally am. It's like. This is for people who are not really that large. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's not it's not a representation of their masculinity. It's a representation of their insecurity with their masculinity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if we as a society had a better, you know, kind of understanding of our um, of ourselves and a healthier relationship with with ourselves and maybe we wouldn't need to buy assault rifles and giant penis rockets. Yeah. I, I, you think we'll ever get there. You think we're going to get, you know, I, I keep hoping, I know we've evolved on so many things. We talked about this, you know, when we're talking about LGBTQ rights and um, I mean, even in Southern States, it's not really an issue for most people anymore. Um, but there's still this overcompensation, this, this toxic masculinity that needs to be overcompensated for that, uh, is somewhat accepted in this country. And I, I, I mean, do you think we're ever going to evolve past it? You know, I don't know. I really, I wish that we would, because it's, it, it's true. If you look at other countries, particularly the way that um, young men are in other countries, they're much more metro. And it's not this big show of big, tough guy masculinity kind of a thing. Right. And it seems very American that you have people who desperately want to appear as though they're like MMA fighters and crap like that. Yeah, it's rugged, it's rugged individualism, which people, it's like the myth of America. Uh, and it's not necessarily a myth. I mean, I think the people who came here originally... Um, were rugged individualists. You had to be to cross an ocean and 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 come here and cross the West and do all these other things. But totally. it, it's it's a it's a it's something that you don't really need to do anymore. If you go to the stop and shop to get your groceries, and you don't got to go out and kill every day to eat. <laughs> so uh, you yeah. know, and you know, you go to the store to buy your clothes. You don't got to skin uh, you know uh, an animal to do it. So I, I don't know where we're going. Yeah, I actually went to, um, so I've been like randomly just walking around nurseries because, you know, I have a thing for plants and, um, <laughs> and there's a nursery that's by my house that, um, has a really good deal on hydrangeas right now. So I've been watching to see if they'll knock down a few, a few bucks on it. And I saw this dude's truck with a three percenter sticker on it. And I will say too, a NASA sticker 
and then a sticker with an AR-15. And I was like, first of all, I was confused by the NASA thing. Like, what is that about? Right. Like, put that on as a joke. Like, oh, I'm pro-science, but I want to kill people. And I'm like, dude, you're at the nursery buying plants. Right. You would think if you're like this big tough guy, you could at least grow them from seed. Right. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Just saying. And think about all the trucks we sell in this country, right? The F-150 is the best-selling car in the world. And we sell more of them in the United States than any other car. And there are so many trucks out there, more trucks than cars now on the road, pickup trucks, SUVs. Why do we need them? I mean, I get it if you've got a job where you got to haul stuff. Great. I I wish my brother-in-law hadn't sold his pickup truck. I used to love using it once a month to haul stuff out of my house. Or like. God bless the person you know, the one person you know who has a truck that, you know, whenever you're moving or something. Yes, yes. But everybody has them now. Everybody. I mean, seriously, why? If you're not hauling a whole bunch of crap, if you don't, you know, like there are only so many family members that you can put in the back of that truck before they start pulling you over. Yeah, it's crazy. All right. I got about a minute. I got about a minute left for you. Uh, I want to ask you, now that COVID is easing up, what are you going to do? that you can't wait to do that you couldn't do for the last year? Um, so I have already traveled a couple of times and we went to Turks and Caicos Island for my birthday. We had this major hoedown that was just fun and silly and goofy. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to go to Bonaire for a dive trip. in Nice, nice, nice. Well, that sounds like good stuff for me. Is there anything you're going to miss about being locked down? Um, I think I am a little bit of like an extroverted introvert, um, because I like large crowds of people really freak me out. Me too. Me too. That's like, I never was a big like concert. The the only exception for me is concerts. I love concerts. It's the only place I'll go while I'll be in a crowd. Even sports now, I got to sit in the box or I don't go. I'm like, I'm a weird, I'm weird that way. Sarah Burris. She's at, at Sarah K Burris on Twitter. Am I At Sarah Burris. At Sarah Burris on Twitter. Sorry, I got that wrong. And she's, of course, on Raw Story all the time. Follow her. Follow Raw Story. Uh, You don't want to miss out on Sarah because she's always got something good to say. And I really appreciate you having something good to say tonight with me. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks. I'm Chris Hahn, the Aggressive Progressive. Check out a new episode of the Aggressive Progressive podcast every Tuesday. You know, the election is heating up. Just as the year is winding down, stick with me. I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Download the Aggressive Progressive on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. Buckle up, folks. The Car Pro Show podcast is here to rescue you from the doldrums of everyday life. And you can find it on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast cravings take you. What do we have here, doctor? Looks like yet another case of the Car Pro Show podcast giddies. Do you concur? I concur. And it's spreading like wildfire. I know, but the podcast is so powerful. Jerry and Kevin dish out all the juicy car news from the Car Pro Friends universe. They review and chat about the latest car lineups from all the big players in the industry. And they take live calls to help steer car buyers in the right direction. It's highly addictive and impossible to shake. Do we alert the press? Are you crazy? If more people discover the Car Pro Show podcast and its cornucopia of car curriculum, this thing will spiral out of control. (laughs) 
Listen to the Car Pro Show on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast desires take you. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. <laughs> All right, I hope you liked Sarah Burris. You know, I, I, I remember people making the joke that the guy buys Playboy for the article, but uh, Sarah goes to Pornhub for the analytics. I admit I am a data geek, and I did check it out. Uh, they do have a lot of interesting data. Uh, so, you know, check it out. I'm not going to give a link here. I don't want anybody to think. And it is not a link that you got to go through to... Uh, you don't have to see anything but the data if you go there. the the data the uh, the blog page that has basically their their insights on what people are doing. I guess they must have hired a an analytics person to put this stuff together, or maybe there's a firm that just had it interested in. It's like, hey, how about this? But who knows? Who knows? It's a wild world we live in, right? People are are always searching for something. <laughs> so anyway, uh. It has been a particularly quiet week in politics. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I mean, you know, Congress was out, I think, last week. They're back this week. It's going to be an interesting week to see what happens with, uh, you know, the many things making their way through the House that die in the Senate. Mitch McConnell just calling it out. I mean, just calling it out, saying, I'm going to block everything. And there's nothing you can do about it. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. We got to break off one of his people. We got to make him pay for the hubris that he has brought and the glee he shows for just being an obstructionist. There's got to be one or two that are like, come on, Mitch, enough. Like I said, Lisa Murkowski, she doesn't need him. She doesn't. Nobody needs him, frankly. Nobody needs him. We're so divided, though. Are people just afraid to be independent. It's just that simple. They're just afraid to go out on their own. I mean, you say what you want about Joe Joe uh, Joe Manchin, but he's going out on his own. He's being independent. He's saying, "This is what I want." Democrats always have that independent streak. You know, it's like uh, Will Rogers said, "I don't belong to an organized party. I'm a Democrat." Let's get somebody to show a backbone. Somebody who might be retiring, who wants to just see a few things happen. The hubris of this man to go on a low rate, a low rent radio show, frankly, and say, I'm going to block everything. Yeah, you know what? If I get the majority back and there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court, I don't care if it's two years, I'll hold it open. How do you feel about that, Joe Manchin, Kristen Cinema? You think that there are 10 good people that are going to break away from that? Let's lower the filibuster to 55. How about we start with that? Let's make it 55. That means you got to have a couple of Republicans. You got to have five Republicans on board. I feel better about my chances of getting five than 10. 10 is a lot. That's 20% of the Republican caucus. You're going to get 20% of the Republicans in the Senate. Now, somebody check my math for me and, of course, email me, tweet at me, 
if I got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. 10 to 50 is 20%. 10% of the Senate, 20% of the Republicans. I'm not saying you got to get 20% of the Senate. You need 60% of the Senate to get something past the filibuster. You need 20% of Republicans to get it. I think I got the math right. I think I got it down. I'm not a great mathematician. You know, my daughter is in this, in this advanced math. I couldn't do it. Okay? I've got no ability to do the math that she's doing. But I, it might be easier to get 10% of Republicans than 20% of Republicans. Or 5% of the Senate to come along. You know, you then would need 55% of the Senate. I think the math is pretty easy when there's 100, right? Gets a little bit harder when there's 50, but not that much harder. I think I could divide by two or multiply by two, as the case may be. I'd like to see that. Let's call it the drive for 55. I think that's what I'm going to name this episode. I know this is the last thing I'm talking about, uh, but I'm going to name this episode the drive for 55. We need to lower the filibuster to 55 votes in the Senate. This way, Manchin gets his bipartisanship, and it's not an impossible task. It's still hard, but it's less hard. Seven senators voted to convict Trump. That means you only got to get five of them. Two could could walk away. Now, I'm not going to try to do the math on that. Uh, it'll be about 7% of the Senate uh, or 3.5% of all Republicans in the Senate. We only need to get three of that percent, right? Uh, whatever, whatever, whatever it is. We need 5% of Republicans then. I think that's doable. I'd like to see that. It's called the Drive for 55. All right, America, I want to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.